Welcome, everybody, to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here once again with Nikki Kinzer. Hello, Mr. Wright. How are you? I didn't say Mr. White. <laughs> you you are in a really dark space if that's no, I, have, you, have you not finished it yet i have three episodes left oh. i'm gonna watch them tonight and um i almost feel like we can't be friends we saying. can't be friends at all until you actually finish well it was so the the the, the last episode i watched last night it was so suspenseful <laughs> That I had to actually get online and look to see kind of what happened next. Like, I needed to know what was going to oh. happen before I watched it. Oh. Lame. Lame. I know. But I am kind of ready for it to be over. Yeah. This darkness is like, ugh, yeah. it's too much. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's a, it's a fascinating, uh, fascinating adventure. It really is. And I haven't, I haven't actually, um, watched the show that you talked about last week with the writers. Yeah. The writer's room. Yeah. I want to wait until I am actually done with the show and then I'll go back and, 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 uh, watch that. But well, you should, it, although it you should so know good. that the show, uh, I, th- when they did that show, uh, when they did the writer's room, they had not, I don't think they'd done season five. Like it, oh, okay. so you've seen for, you know, more than they knew at the time. Okay. Okay. So, so good stuff, but we're going to talk about something happier today. <laughs> yes, we are. I'm so excited about this conversation. You came up with this uh, some time ago. I'm not sure, remember when you gave me well, the assignment. I, yeah, I think I mentioned it on the podcast last mm-hmm. last year. I think I got the book in the summer, maybe. Yeah, yeah. 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 So this we're talking about uh, about the book Ten Percent happier. Uh, and the, the full title is uh, 10% happier. How I tamed the voice in my head, reduced stress without losing my edge and found self-help that actually works. A true story by By Dan Dan Harris. Harris. Not, not a short title. No. Uh, but he gets it all in there and that's pretty much what the book is about. Yes. Uh, so why did you want to talk about, uh, about this book in particular? I love this book and I recommend this book, um, to many of my clients for a variety of different reasons, which I'll, which I'll talk about. But, uh, you know, I think first of all, um, this, this book came to me in a variety of different ways. I saw somebody who read it on Facebook and recommended it. And then I think somebody else told me about it. And it was just sort of like coming around to me in my little universe, my world. And I thought I'm going to pay attention to this book and, and read it. And one of the things that, um, really interested me about it is that, you know, when he had a panic attack, um, on GMA on good morning America, and he talks about that in the book and it's from anxiety. Well, I have anxiety and I've lived with anxiety my whole life and never really realized what it was until I was in my forties. Um, which is crazy that you can have something like that and not be able to, Mm -hmm. to label it. Um, but that was the case. And so because we had that common thread, I thought, I think he has something to say that I want to, that I want to read. And, um, for me personally in the last like year or so, actually longer, probably two years, I've been on my own journey of meditating and getting, uh, practicing yoga and, and, um, really practicing mindfulness and, and paying more attention to a lot of different things, really wanting to live my life and not just sort of get through it. Mm-hmm. So again, it was like this book just really rang to me. So I bought it. 
I read it really fast. Um, and like I said, I just really enjoy the concept. And he is... Uh, you know, he's a, a, a journalist, and so his personality is is a journalist personality, right? I mean, he's outgoing, and he's out there, and he's putting himself in all these different situations. Um, but to hear him, to hear his honesty and his um, explanation of what the voices that were going on in his head and what he was telling himself is so real and uh, really relatable. I, I think uh, I think that's really true, and I want to just add uh, just a little bit to that. The the his background is is fascinating as a journalist, and and for those who don't know, I spent a lot of years in in television. My first uh, sort of career was as a broadcast journalist, and so um, you know it it is a fascinating role to watch him I mean, in many respects this is sort of a love letter to peter jennings you know this this book right. is like his his sort of formative years as a as an anchor and, or as a as a broadcaster um but he is trained and conditioned as a cynic right mm-hmm. he's trained to question everything and to mm-hmm. to sort of go in with this lens of disbelief and that's the role of the of the media right is to you know j- uh, the the sort of journalist as a pure sense is to go in and 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 uncover um you know that which is otherwise veiled and, right. And, you know, so he goes into this whole his journey as a natural cynic, someone who questions every step of the way. What I am hearing right now is lunacy. Now I have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And and so that that is an approach to this particular discussion that I I found really compelling. I agree. I agree because he is so real about it. Like he is not going into it thinking, oh, I'm going to start meditating and my life's going to change. I mean, he he was like, when he was a religious reporter, I mean, he went into it, like you said, with questions and curiosity and and really wanted to get, you know, to, to the bottom of, of these belief systems and things like that. So coming from that, I think just, again, makes it so much more real for people um, that, you know, so many times I, I will talk to clients or not even clients, but just people who have ADHD and they'll say, you know, oh, I can't meditate. There's no way I can't sit still for, you know, five minutes or whatever. And he doesn't say he has ADHD. He never even mentions that. He just talks about the anxiety. Uh, I did see him in an interview say that he has a attention span of a kitten, which mm-hmm. I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> so even though he doesn't say he has ADHD, maybe he does, maybe he, does, he doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, you, you don't have to have a great attention span to, to try this. And um, I think, you know, as you read the book, you'll see the the journey he goes on to actually try it. And I love when he talks about the first time he meditated, because it's so true. Um you, you know, you sit down, your intentions are good. And then within like a second, you realize, gosh, I have an itch on the bottom of my foot mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm not real comfortable and I need to move around. Or I remember at one point me kind of like opening one eyeball and looking at the time, <laughs> you know, yes. trying to see like, really, how long have I been sitting here? And so I love the reality of it, that it's not 
this perfect practice that that happens all at once and and it is it's a practice it's not something that that's right or wrong or you can do wrong you know you can it can look however you want it to look um but what i love about this and what i encourage people to try when they do have adhd and one of the, one of the core lessons of the book is that meditation and mindfulness it it allows you to pause before you react and so much of what happens with with us, you know, is that you have that reactionary impulse of somebody cuts you off and you want to be angry, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, well, he does. He talks a lot about that in the, in the chapter on his relationship with Eckhart Tolle. Um, Mm -hmm. he he talks, you know, they go into this discussion about ego and, and he was, I I think, particularly cynical and skeptical about, uh, about, you know, Eckhart Tolle as a, as a thinker and, uh, and, you know, they talk about how the ego, uh, is not just, you know, this sense of, of, you know, puffed up pride in your own self, but it is your sense of I, your sense of I. And the ego is never satisfied, is constantly comparing itself to others, thrives on drama. And then the most important one, I think, uh, to this point on meditation is obsessed with the past and the future. Yes. yes. And, and that was a was a, something that really resonated with me uh, when I'm at my very lowest. It is generally because I'm longing for something, some experience that I have already had that I likely will not have again mm-hmm. or would struggle in some way to repeat it. Or I am anticipating something, some f- potential future that I likely can't guarantee will occur. Well, and Pete, that's a beautiful explanation of what anxiety is. Exactly. That that is exactly how my anxiety forms. I'm either thinking about something in the past that I wish I would have done differently, said differently, or done differently, or in what you said, wish I could repeat, um, because it was good. It was Mm -hmm. a great thing or a great experience. But then that worry of the future, of something that that hasn't happened yet, you don't know if it's going to happen, um... But yet you you ponder it and you stir on it and and it affects you and and I mean wonderful explanation of that that's what that is. Yeah, it, you know, and I think it it gets to the appreciation of of time and the role that time and I say time kind of in italics the the role that time has in anxiety and stress uh, because generally. When when I'm again at my lowest, it's because I think I either have too much or too little time, uh, and and again that keeps me from being uh, from really experiencing what I'm doing right now and doing my mm-hmm. very best mm-hmm. at whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I you know that that to me was was a wonderful uh, reminder, and and it gets back to what you said, you know, that meditation is a practice, being centered is a practice, being able to stop and just take a deep breath. Uh, and and experience what you are doing right now. Like there's there is no other uh, magic bullet, so to speak, to uncovering you know what it means to experience the now. Other than as as Tola says to Harris, just stop and take a breath. Right. Well, what right. about all the cynics who say that's not enough? Well, those are people who aren't you know who don't know how to do it yet, but they'll mm-hmm. get there. Mm-hmm. Um, it is simply as he says, exercise for your brain. It's a proven mm-hmm. technique for preventing the voice in your head from leading you around by the nose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and I watched a, a a video of Dan Harris interview or being interviewed about the the science of meditation, and I thought that that was really uh, key too because he was saying, you know, as a cynic, I unless there's science behind it, you know, I'm probably not going to believe it. And having the science backing this up, you know, he had a couple different statistics saying that from Yale. Um, that there's this default mode network of the brain that, you know, where we're obsessing over ourselves, kind of what you were saying before, that anxiety, not being focused, and that meditators can actually turn off that default mode, not only while they're meditating, but when they're not meditating, and and that we're setting this new standard, this new default mode on focusing on the now. And he uses the expression of kind of in sports, how you're being in the zone, you know, you are where you are right now. Um, And having these enormous benefits because of that. And and I think that one of the things that that he follows up in this particular interview is that bad things are still going to happen. Stress is still going to stress is still going to happen, but it's it's now being reacted to differently than before. Right. And and that's the key and that's where you get the 10% happier is that he's not saying that this is going to solve all your problems or that this is going to make everything go away. But if you can just be 10% happier than where you are right now, that's a really strong, you know, uh, what is it? Return on your investment investment of doing nothing, right? Right, I mean, you're you're investing your time, but you're not paying anybody. You're not, it's just you and and the meditation and... uh, I don't know. Ten percent happier sounds good to me. <laughs> I'll take it. Why not? Ten percent less anxiety than you know what you felt before. Well, and I, you know that that is an interesting point, and I, I agree with you. I really love how he how he frames the whole argument that this is not the the panacea of uh, you know this is um, this is everything is a little bit better. And as he walks through building his case for meditation, uh, he he doesn't say that it's not hard. Right. And and it's I find it interesting. He comes back to the things that he's really struggles with still. Right. And and one of them is back to this attention issue is multitasking. You know, he still finds himself, even though he is aware of the science of the studies that have shown that multitasking is a fable. uh, It's a myth. Uh, that really we are at our very best productively when we are focusing on one thing at a time and finishing that thing. Uh, you know, he still finds himself flitting between email and Twitter and writing and doing these different things. And that is something he has a hard time with. And the second is mindless eating. Yes. Uh, that that yes. really struck me. This Because yeah. I, man, I suffer with both of these things. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea that I, I do crave a cheeseburger sometimes. And once I start eating that cheeseburger, it's way too easy to eat all the fries and all the burgers and all the everythings. You know, it's it's a slippery slope. And, and, and his case is, you know, by all rights, a regular meditation practice should help with those things. It really should. Capital S should. And yet it's still hard. It's still, that's, that is stuff that's governed outside the 10% for him right now. But we're getting there. Mm-hmm. And it is a practice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I encourage, you know, when I talk to my clients about it, I encourage them, you know, read the book, see what you, what you think. Um, you know, people listening out, out, if you're looking or listening to us today, if you think that, you know, you're looking for a new book to read, certainly suggest it. I think it's got some great stuff. It's really interesting. I always love seeing how people kind of got to where they are today. So like, him giving the backstory of, of his relationship with Peter Jennings and all that was really interesting to me. Like, I just really dug all that. 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, it, know? you know, it, it's funny to see the triggers that people that, that bring people to these new sort of realizations, even right. the 10% realizations. And for his, you know, we should add like part of his challenge was that he was a drug user and cocaine yeah. uh, for him replaced as his, as his therapist said, replaced uh, the war zone, the adrenaline yeah. of the war zone. And that's, a, that, that's quite an awakening. Right. Um, right. So I, I'm curious, what your can you talk a little bit about your um, sort of mindfulness process, and, and maybe as a function of or or leading up to you know your experience with this book? How do you how do you meditate? What does that look like for you? Is well, that weird? It, is that a it, weird question? No, not at all. I'm happy to to share it. I think the mindfulness I. Um, I, I practice every, I try to practice every day and I try to be very mindful, um, not only about just everyday experiences, but I try to bring it to my children. Um, we'll, we'll be like driving to school and I'll notice the sunrise and I will always comment on it. And I will always comment on how beautiful, um, the mountains look, or, um, I'll notice something and I'll say something and I'll bring it to my, my kids' attention. And yes, there is sort of a, a you know, not only am I noticing it and, and there is that reason that I want them to notice it too. Like, I don't want them to not see the beauty that's around us. Um, and you know, the mindfulness eating that, or the mindless eating was huge for me too. So when we have dinner, I make sure the TV's off and that we're all having dinner, talking to each other. Um, so they're, they're little habit, little things that I've, that I've tweaked so that we are more in tuned with each other. When I go watch my kids play basketball or football or whatever their sport they're doing, my electronics are not on me. They're in my purse, in my car. I don't look at them. I want to be in the moment. I want to look at my kids play. I want them to see that they see that I'm watching them play. There is nothing more important than that moment. Um, there are certain events that I have to actually kind of like prepare myself for um, in the sense that I really want to be in the moment here. And so mm -hmm. I'll remind myself that this is important and really just enjoy it. And, and one of those things is, as you know, Pete, I'm a huge Jason Mraz fan. <laughs> Love his music. And anytime that he is near me in Oregon or Washington, I will go see him. And... <laughs> <laughs> like he's just filling up his car at the gas. You're there. I'm there. <laughs> and uh, I had the the privilege of watching him twice in 2014. And both times, that was that kind of prepping myself of just be in the moment. Don't think about what his next song's going to be or how long the concert's going to be. Just watch. Just be there. Mm -hmm. And you just experience things differently that way. Um and I, like I said earlier, I got to the point a couple of years ago where I just felt like I was fast forward all the time. Like I just wasn't enjoying things the way that I really felt like I should. And, and that's when I really started reading up about mindfulness and meditation. Now, so mindfulness to me is something I try to do throughout the whole day. And I do that with my clients too. Like I really am very, you know, when, when they are talking to me, they get all of me. Like distractions are gone. I, I am completely, wholly listening to just them. Um, and I'll meditate sometimes, not all the time, but I'll sometimes meditate uh, about five minutes before a client call just mm -hmm. to get me kind of in that zone of being where they're at. Um, I would love to say that I meditate every day, but honestly, it's something that is hit and miss. 
Sure, um, sure. I, I try. I can tell when I don't. And this is something that Dan Harris says too. Like, you can tell. I will be more on edge if I haven't, um, or if I haven't even just spent time to to think of my intentions. Like I'm kind of big on, okay, what, what's my intention going to be for today? If, if it's to be, you know, I'm going to choose to be happy. I'm going to choose to, uh, do this or do that. If I haven't really sat down to, to really, um, explore what those intentions are for that day, I can tell I, I go off road. Right. Right. Um, and so the meditation I try to do every morning I've done in the evening, um, at this moment, because we're talking about the now. <laughs> I'm meditating right now. It's, it's, it's a hit and miss. And I, and I would love, and that is actually, you know, when we talked about resolutions and yeah. what we want it and what, what we want in the coming year. I mean, that is one thing that I would like to, to, to try to do every day. Um, because I know it makes a difference. It, it, it makes a difference for me. I can't mm-hmm. say it will for everybody, but I know it does for me. What about you, Pete? You know, I, um, I'm, I, again, I'm, I'm sort of hit and miss. I, I tend to use, um, well, this is something sort of new and I, I think it, it's part of my experience of, of having just gotten back from Costa Rica. You know, we did a bunch of the adventure type stuff in Costa Rica, you know, and so yeah, we started with some whitewater rafting, which was right about where I, where I'm okay. I, I feel good about whitewater rafting. We had a good time. I liked the rapids. They were nice, big rapids. It was, it was a good time. <laughs> But the next thing we did was repelling, and the first the first thing we did to repel was, you know, we they put us on a rope and said, "Now go repel down this 165 foot cliff." And I I was really really paralyzed by that, and and I managed to push through it, but I don't feel like I really got the experience of it because I was living in such fear, mm-hmm. um, and and there were you know five or six of these um, in the along the course, and so I I managed to get through it about the last one, but then you realize, God, I just missed that whole thing. Um, because I was afraid for my life, you know, and so you get that, but, but that was, to me, that was a really sort of sensate experience of, of what it means to be in the now, uh, and to experience control and, and patience and, and do that. So the next thing we did was the zip line tour and, you know, the zip lines, they give you like 10 zip lines down the mountain and through the canopy of, of the um, rainforest. And it was beautiful. And I felt like I was finally sort of coming to terms with that. And, and by about the third one, I could jump off and let go and really open my eyes and look around at all of the experience or even in the sort of 40 seconds that you'd be on the rope. It, it, it was a really, it became kind of a powerful experience for me. So I started going to the gym, uh, and, and doing something new at the gym, uh, on the treadmill, I put my headset in on my uh, iPhone and I have this app called Thunder Thunderscape, Thunderstorm, Thunderscape, something like that, where, you know, you can download different, uh, live recorded rainstorms from different parts of the world. And, um, uh, and I turned on a 30 minute, uh, walk through the rainforest. Oh, cool. Through the tropical rainforest. And I turn that on and I close my eyes on the treadmill and I walk for 30 minutes. What a great idea. I'm telling you, you know, because you start sweating a little bit and it's incredibly humid in the rainforest, obviously. So you start yes. sweating a little bit there and suddenly <laughs> you feel like you're really there. It was a, it was an amazing experience. And for me, that bit of stepping out and, and sort of finding that kind of, I'm going to use the word virtual reality to me mm-hmm. during that was a, mm-hmm. was a form of, of really nice sort of presence reset that, you know, I woke up and I felt really refreshed. I felt like I'd walked through the rainforest and my head was clear and I was able to shake off all the tasks that are kind of red on my task list right now. And, and things just sort of came together. Um, 
And so I'm, I'm practicing using that as a technique right now. I, obviously these things change again. It's a practice, but for me, that's, that's kind of where that's I'm landing. Fantastic. That's fantastic. I, well, I have a really hard time with silent, with the silent bit. That that's, that's a part that I, I don't practice enough to get good at it, to be comfortable in complete silence. Uh, and I'm, I struggle with that. Well, and that's the thing that I think, I mean, and, and somebody can tell me I'm wrong, but I, I from my understanding and my learning from the books I've read, there is no right or wrong way to do it. So if you don't yeah. like the silence, then put on something like that where you're listening to the ocean or to the rain or whatever, and you can still get the same results. Well, that's kind of what it feels like to me. And I, that's, I think is the biggest learning from this book and from the experience of reading it again for our conversation is that, mm-hmm. is, is that this is all about permission. Uh, yes. That, right. That there, like you said, there's no right and wrong, but it's permission to do what is right for you. Right. Uh, and, and that's a, an empowering, and, and powerful statement. And I think that it's okay for, well, for me, when you, when you ask, what does that meditation look for me? Sometimes it is just focusing on the breathing in and out, in and out, you know, and kind of like going into that place. Mm -hmm. But there's other times where I'll use the meditation to really set my intentions for the day where it's just my time to, to sit and be calm and think about what I need for that day, especially if something's coming up that I'm anxious about. And that's where it's really helped is that, you know, I, maybe I have a new client and I'm kind of anxious about talking to them or I've got, um, an interview with somebody or you're, you and I are doing a podcast. I mean, whatever it is that might be, you know, making me feel a little bit anxious that I can sit down and take that moment and, and and be clear about what I want in that situation, what I need from that situation, and and gain a little bit of insight and confidence that, you know, again, it's that it's not that react. You're not reacting to something. You're, right. you know, taking the time to to uh, be in the now. So, I, I you know one of the things that that this just got me thinking of something that that was actually recommended to me by a couple of people. They and I, I think it's a. I think I say this sort of with my head down. I think it was a link on Facebook, um, but it was it, it for it was a recommendation for uh, getting yourself to sleep. And I have, I think we've talked about this. I have an incredibly difficult time getting to sleep. I, I sleep is a very challenging thing for me. And uh, this is the four seven eight uh, rule. Have you seen this floating around? Four seven eight. Four seven eight. So the deal is this. It's it's a form of of breathing control, breath control, and and I'm I'm calling it a kind of meditation. I I cannot place the source. I'll see if I can find the link and put it in the show notes on the site. Um, but you you start by breathing in through your nose four seconds. You hold that breath for seven seconds. For se- I have seen this. And yes. You exhale through your mouth for eight seconds, and you repeat that. And I I have been trying it. The results from my friends uh, uh, they've been like you know. Um, once you get over the fact that you're, you sort of feel like you need more air, <laughs> but <laughs> once you get over that, you go, you just go to sleep. Like you just plum go to sleep. Red. Yeah. Yeah. You turn red, you sort of hyperventilate <laughs> to sleep and it, it works. And so I've been trying it the last couple of nights and I'll, I'll tell you, I don't, I, I don't remember going to sleep and that's a pretty big deal for me. Wow. Like to just feel like I'm able to drift off. Some people are saying I go to sleep inside of a minute. Some people say I can't get through the first pattern and I'm asleep. Uh, for me, I just, I don't remember the fight to go to sleep the night before. And that's, that's pretty good. So that's great. One little meditation, Facebook meditation trick. Well, you know, what's really kind of ironic about that. What's that? Is just this morning, I clicked on Facebook, um, this link or no, I actually, think it went through my email so I can send this to you. Uh, and the reason why I just heard of what you were talking about is it was like different ways to deal with anxiety. And that was one of their techniques. 
Really? And I just saw it this morning. Well, now I can't do it any time but going to sleep because it'll put me to sleep. So I can't do it when I'm no, anxious. No, it's good, though. I think that's good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, no, no. I think, well, because so many people feel anxiety before they go to bed. Yes, that's true. That's yeah. when it is. Because that's, that's so when weird. you're having to relinquish control of the day. Right. That's right. the most difficult time for me. Wow. Interesting stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. I love it. Thank you so much for recommending this book. I'm so glad for for having read it. It is a great journey uh, through his relationships with uh, thought leaders in this subject. So if you want to sort of, I, I guess, kind of meet uh, all of the people who are great thinkers and writers and get a, a it's it makes for a fantastic reading list of further, uh, you know, further work. Right. Uh, because he goes through all of the all of the people that he's met in his journey and all the books that they've written. Uh, on the subject. It's a, it's a great uh, primer. Yes, absolutely. I agree. Very good. All right. Any other news for the people? I don't think so. Um, No, we're good. All right. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, make sure you head over to Take Control ADHD. Find out more about the podcast. Catch up with back episodes. You can subscribe for free in iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. And, you know, if, you, if you're if you new to podcasts, it's, it's a new year. Maybe your resolution is, I want to listen to more podcasts. Maybe you heard Serial, which is still awesome. Uh, you can, there's, there's a little... Uh, new to podcasting link on the podcast page and you can click that and get some get a little bit of a tutorial of how you might subscribe to a podcast if that doesn't mean anything to you um so subscriptions are great we sure appreciate when you subscribe make sure you make sure you don't miss an episode uh, on you can find us at uh, take control adhd on twitter and facebook and uh, it's even on pinterest we're we're on pinterest all the shows are on pinterest along with all sorts of other good stuff so uh, you can find uh, uh nikki at take control adhd i'm at pete Wright on twitter and until next week this has been taking control the adhd podcast <laughs>